Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Greetings, humans. You have entered the command zone. Your destination for all aspects of Elder Dragon Highlander. Enjoy your stay. This is not a real song, but it kind of sounds like one. This one's for Blake. Blake Rasmussen, this song's for you. That was it. That was it. We don't have any more lyrics. Sorry, Blake. But we are going to write more for you, buddy. They'll expect them. I don't expect them. Maybe never. I don't. Yeah, we're never going to do as good as the Commander and Podcast did, so... They're the they're way better at song yeah. parody. I mean, someday, someday, you never know. I, I can play instruments. I've done music in the past. We could we could try something out. <laughs> How's it going, everybody? You are listening to the Command Zone podcast. I'm your host Jimmy Wong. How's it? It's Josh Lee Kwai. And today we've got a lot of stuff to talk about. Very exciting. Uh, but first, did you guys check out our spoiler episode last Friday? We spoiled a brand new card for Shadows of Innistrad. Spoiler! Spoiler alert! Woo! It was called Second Harvest, and uh, Terry, uh, w- let's play the animation for it one more time. Let's do that. In case you guys missed the last episode, here it is. Big thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for making that animation. The card is really exciting. We talked more about it in our last episode. It's just a short 10 to 13 minute one. You guys can go ahead and listen to that if you just find us on our podcast page. But uh, we've had a busy week. Yeah, very busy. We had our 100th episode, our live stream. We're only, what, three three days ago at the time of this recording? Four yeah. days? Um, I'm still tired. I am exhausted. I was so exhausted after that. I was like, I literally got home and I was like, I have to go to sleep right now. <laughs> and you never woke up. <laughs> Thank you, everyone who showed up. We had a whole lot of people uh, in the stream, in chat, jumping in, jumping out. We had we gave away a ton of prizes. Yeah, it was really fun. It was just cool to, I don't know, be face to face in a way with with the viewers and listeners of the show. Uh, the chat was scrolling by so quickly; it was so hard to keep track of what was going on. But we did get to get, glean a few gems out of there. We were making an Ailey deck list, so if you guys want to see us build a deck list live, uh, go ahead and check out our last episode. You can also watch it as a video on demand on Twitch TV. Or you can watch it on our YouTube channel. Yeah, I would say of all our episodes, this one I would most recommend watching the video rather than listening to the audio. Just because it was built to be watched on Twitch. Mm-hmm. And so you can listen to it and it does make sense. But there's a lot of times where we're talking about stuff and sort of pointing at things, like physically pointing at things. Yeah. So that'll just help. And uh, I apologize in advance for the Ailey deck. It's a bit of a mess, but it's hard to build something live on stream. Uh, yeah, I, I felt found. the pressure. I was like, oh my gosh, this thing needs to get done by the end of this yeah, episode. Yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, it's been three hours. By the way, it's a long episode. Uh, yeah, we just have to finish it. We have to have something that's a legal deck at the end of this thing. Yeah, and for those of you that have tweeted and emailed us saying that you missed it for one reason or the other, don't worry, we're going to explore doing stuff with this sort of format in the future. I mean, we, it was obviously a big success for us, and seeing everyone there was really exciting. I'm sure that you guys got to have fun in chat as well, talking to each other and sort of discussing what you would add to the deck. So, Yeah, everybody who showed up, basically, you're encouraging us to do it again, and there was a lot of people, so... Yeah, it's pretty exciting. Hooray! Uh, the th- one thing about live 
quote unquote TV mm-hmm. is that you forget things and it's hard to add them in later because you're live. Yes. So, you know, we forget things on the show sometimes and then we just call our editor, Taryn, and we're like, hey, we forgot this. We're going to record it really quick and you can just add it in. Well, mm-hmm. you can't do that when you're doing things live. So there's some things we forgot. A little bit of housekeeping here we're going to do. Um, the Battle for Zendikar fat pack that was given away on stream was actually donated by one of our Twitter followers at Command Tower. And the command is CMD Tower. So we want to thank him for donating that prize. He's actually going to be the one to send it out. Commandtower.com is actually a blog that this guy does uh, about commander-related stuff. And it's pretty cool. I would encourage you to go check it out. So go to cmdtower.com and you can check out his blog. And thank you for donating the Battle for Zendikar Fat Pack for our listeners. Yeah, I believe his name is Jace Reed. If if his real name is Jace, that is awesome. Uh, But there's a lot of uh, great articles on that website. So do do make sure you guys check out cmdtower.com. And thank you for being so generous and donating the Fat Pack to give away on the show. And then we also had... And it was on the infographic that we posted. There was like all our prizes. And there was two books on there. Um, And we forgot to give away the books. We just had... I think we were so fixated. We had this table and we'd covered it with booster packs and fat packs and from the vaults and some foil cards. And the books weren't physically there. So we just sort of forgot that we were (laughs) supposed to give them away. Uh, Delray Books, who, if you listen to the show, you know, has partnered with us a number of times to give away books. They are giving away more books on our show. The book is called The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. It's kind of a fantasy medieval heist book. This is the first book we're giving away that I haven't actually read, but I've heard very good things about it. Um, and Joe Scalora, who is our contact at Delray, actually sent Jimmy and I both this book. So I do have it, and I do plan to read it. I just haven't yet. I hear it's great. It gets very good reviews. Listen at the end of the episode when we do the To the Listeners question. That will be your chance to enter and win copy of the lies of Locke lamora exciting i love giving books away yeah it's, it's one of my favorite things it makes me feel like i'm actually doing something good for humanity not that this podcast is not good but encouraging people to read is like i don't know both my parents were teachers so it's like yeah. hardwired into my system that i need to, to you know encourage people to read books yeah it's, it's built into you to do it right yeah well that's exciting so thank you again to everyone that came by the episode 100 live stream it was a ton of fun for us to do um I mean, hopefully, I mean, who knows? The sky's the limit with what we can do with the show. So we'd love to just continue exploring all that and uh, seeing what we can do there, which is exciting for us. We'd love to hear from you what your favorite part of the stream was. If we were to do more streaming, what about it would you most want to see? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot of people talk about the gameplay parts because we did have some live gameplay. Uh, was it the deck brewing and us interacting with the chat that way? Was it the interviews with the other personalities from Magic? You tell us. Um, so that we get a really good handle on what it is about the stream that you want to see. Yeah, and big thanks to Marshall Sutcliffe, Brian David, Marshall, Jason Alt, and, of course, The Professor for popping up on stream. It's always great to talk to those guys. They're the best. Next up, we have a listener question from someone that emailed the show, Joshua DeLeon. Uh, so the email reads, um, I'm previously a standard player, new to the Commander format. I'm not coming to realize that cards are evaluated differently in Commander. I've heard you mention on the cast that, quote, unquote, high ceiling cards are good in the format, better than efficient cards with a, quote, high floor, end quote, that are good in standard. When evaluating cards, how do you distinguish high ceiling from best case scenario mentality? So this guy obviously is a listener of limited resources. A lot of these phrases are used there. Um, let's talk about a couple of them really quick before we answer the question. So high ceiling is a card where the upside is just very high. So mm-hmm. you only worry about 
the card at its best. That's what high ceiling means. Like this card, like insurrection. Right. At its best, it takes 50 creatures. You get them all and you attack and kill everyone. At its best, it takes a million creatures. Okay, sure. <laughs> uh, but it wins you the game. That's yeah. the ceiling on insurrection. High floor is how bad it is at its worst. So insurrection is pretty bad at its worst case scenario. You pay eight mana, you get zero creatures, you can't attack anyone, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Whereas a card like Linvala the Preserver at its worst is still a giant flying angel in the air. Right. At its Linvala, best, it does tons of cool stuff. Yeah, Linvala the Preserver is a 5-5 five, five flying angel. That's the worst case scenario. The best case scenario is you also gain five life and get a 3-3 three, three, uh, flyer in addition. Yeah, pretty so, good. But, the, but that's narrower, right? Because the best case scenario for Linvala is not you win the game. It's yeah. very good. But the worst case is not insurrection bad, like nothing happens. Mm-hmm. It's still pretty good. These are things we talk about a lot where, like, let's take, like, a two-mana 3-3. Three, three. Mm-hmm. A two-mana 3-3 three, three is great in, like, standard because the floor is so low. The worst case scenario is you draw it on turn eight, but it's still a two-mana 3-3. Three, three. It's not – it can block. It might even be able to get into attack. It does something. You might be able to cast that and something else that same turn. Right, but the 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 ceiling is just nowhere. It's just still a two-mana 3-3. Three, three. It can't do any more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, a card like Ailey, the one that we talked about and built a deck around on our 100th episode, has a good floor and a good ceiling. Yeah, because, again, it's a – Two-mana 2-3 two, death touch. Right. At its worst, at its best, it starts blowing up their non-land permanents left and right and gaining you a bunch of life. Yeah. So it's an interesting concept. Best case scenario mentality is another limited resources thing, which is just when you're evaluating a card in your head is you can't just think of it at its best. You have to think of it at its worst, at its average, at the different stages of the game. And so what Joshua is asking is how, basically how you differentiate the evaluation of cards in commander versus other formats specifically standard uh and it's a tough transition to make you know when you're evaluating for standard you narrow what you can use if Mm -hmm. it's over six mana you probably can't even really consider it most of the time you're looking for efficiency you're looking for a card that does something the games don't last long enough that you can play a card most of the time that doesn't do something immediately so the floor has to be pretty high. You can't play an enchantment like we can, like Blind Obedience, let's say. Mm-hmm. You play it, nothing happened to your opponent. It's for future value. But in our format, you got 40 life, so the games are just going to be longer. There's multiplayer, so the games are just going to be longer. So you can afford to play some things that you put it on the table and it doesn't... The Orrery doesn't do anything right now. Yeah. But future value is very good. The future equity of the Orrery is so awesome that you want to put it on almost every deck. Yeah. Uh, in general, you don't want cards with a sort of a high floor but low ceiling. Right. EDH is sort of a dreamer's format in a lot of ways. You're allowed to dream big and have a little bit of that best-case scenario mentality because ideally you're building your deck to make sure that that can happen. Like your commander and the interactions you want to happen with your commander is kind of the best-case scenario. Like you want to play Ailey and you want to be able to start exiling things left and right because that's what you built your deck to do. Well, so, and also in our format, because you're playing against not just one other person you're paying against two three four other people your ceiling has to be higher Mm -hmm. so you have to give up some of the floor sometimes because you can't be content with just KOing one person yeah you have to be able to KO three or four people so your floor sometimes you have to give in a little for the floor of a card because the ceiling is so high and it's a delicate balance yeah Uh, I see where Joshua is coming from um 
that's sort of how I think about card evaluation for Commander in terms of like, I don't want the floor to be so low, but I'm willing to play an Insurrection in my deck, even though sometimes it might I might look around the board and it does nothing mm-hmm. because the ceiling is so high that when it is good, I win. Yeah, you straight up win the game. Um, obviously, eight mana spells, just looking at it, it's like, oh, this is totally a best case scenario mentality cards, but they are often worth it because, well, check it out. You're just going to wreck house with it. Um, if you want to listen to more about this, actually, our ninth episode with uh, Marshall Sutcliffe, who you may know from Limited Resources, is about card evaluation itself. Uh, and we talk about a, a really fun and strong process, I think, to evaluate a card in EDH. Yeah, so. the quadrant theory, which yeah. is, it works in EDH as well. It's it's a little bit different than limited, but we mm-hmm. still use the same quadrants and the same thought process. Yeah, so definitely check that out, card evaluation. And we talk about Animar, one of my favorite commanders as well. That's episode nine of the Command Zone podcast. Thanks for the email, Joshua DeLeon. Um, I did want to say here, we get a lot of emails. We've been getting more of late. I think that's good. It means the show's becoming maybe more popular because we're getting more correspondence. We we try to answer every email that's not a deck list. Mm-hmm. We get a ton of deck lists. We get tweeted a ton of deck lists too. We don't usually answer those. It's just because if we start answering the deck list ones, we'll have no time in our lives. You know, answering an email that asks a simple question takes two or three minutes. Answering a deck list takes 15 or 20 because you have to look at it digest what the deck's trying to do think of some cards it's just very hard mm-hmm. so i just want to apologize to the people that are sending us deck lists and we and we don't answer it's just because there's literally no time if we go down that rabbit hole it's just going to be over but the good news is we are planning to return to the deck doctors series and that is where we're going to be choosing some of the decks that get sent to us to feature on the cast and really get into the nitty-gritty and analyze and help improve them. And so if your deck is chosen for one of those episodes, not only will you win prizes, but you'll also get what you've been asking, which is us to analyze your deck. Yeah, and it's also really tough for us to look at the link that someone tweets at us and give you a concise answer as to how to improve your deck in 140 characters or less or whatever because i mean there's just you see a huge list of cards, it's impossible to tell how it plays, any of that stuff. So it's tough for us to answer those sort of immediately, but we will be getting back to it. All right, now it's time for the main topic, which we're calling the correct answers. So this is an interesting question, something we've been working on. It's sort of been marinating for a few weeks. You know, magic is a game that's difficult to improve at. It's not like, um, I always go to sports. It's not like basketball. Mm -hmm. It's I'm not saying magic is harder to improve at than basketball, but it's harder to know how to improve or that you're improving, right? Because right. there's just so many value uh, variables. Like in basketball, if I'm not a very good shooter, well, I can go and I can practice just shooting every day for a couple of months, and I will improve at it. Yes. At magic, how do you? What's the equivalent of that? It's very difficult because. You draw different cards every time. Your opponents draw different cards. You're playing against different opponents. They're playing different decks. It's hard to know from all those variables, like, am I getting better at something? Or mm-hmm. is this just bad luck? Or, or you know, did I just get mana screwed? Or did I mulligan wrong? Or what's the skill component? I, yeah. It's very tough to tell. Sometimes you also just win games that you shouldn't have because of some variable or another. And that doesn't really happen in a game like basketball. You're going to lose if you're going to lose. 
Yeah. Uh, you can't just sort of luck out and be like, oh, well, I just happened to win this time because my opponent uh, didn't tie his shoelaces and just kept falling over. Yeah, that's true. If so, if your opponent gets mana screwed or they just draw mana three times in a row, you can maybe punt. You can make a bad play and recover from it. Mm-hmm. You know, And it might not even sort of like ping your radar like that you even did that. Anyway, the moral of that story is magic is difficult to improve at. So one of the great things about doing this show, and I don't know if you feel the same way, Jimmy, is that it's like forced reflection. Like I have to think about yeah. magic. Yeah, and actually uh, Limited Resources, to bring it up again, talks about like watch the replays of your games and you'll be amazed at how many times you're watching it and go, why am I not doing that? Why am I not? Oh my gosh, what am I doing? Yeah. Which is harder to do with Commander, though. We're not playing it. I mean, if you're playing online or something, you probably can. Yeah. Um, but it's still very tough to think, because so many things happen during a game, and you're forced into so many decision points. It's so hard to be like, oh, at that point, if I had done this, maybe this would have happened. It's like, well, who knows what path that would have taken you down. Well, in our format, is even more intensely high variable or high variance because it's also political. So mm-hmm. it's like, well, if I did this to this person, would that person still have attacked me? Or would the other person, you know, how would that have changed the political dynamic of the table? It's very, very difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, So one of the questions that's been rolling around our heads for the last few months, maybe, is what separates the stronger players from the weaker players? And obviously, there's a whole bunch of traits that you could list. But I think one thing that continuously sticks out is that the stronger players always seem to have the right answer at the right time. Bing, bing. They hit the bell and like, I had the answer and I was able to respond and <laughs> so, I'm not dead. <laughs> I mean, well, let's, let's. this is something you wrote down and I think it's important to clarify here what we mean when we say stronger and weaker players. Right, we're not trying to uh, throw shade or insult anyone that, that is a quote unquote weak player. We're simply saying what constitutes a strong play versus a weak one because there are a lot of plays in a game and stronger players in general will make, on average, more strong plays than weak ones. And it's something that, I mean, us on the show, one of the things that we love to talk about is we're always striving to improve. And I think that's just something that's tied to us in life as well. Um, I think it will lead you to a better life if you want to get better at stuff instead of, you know, not get better i guess yeah exactly uh it's tough i mean it's tough for me to see it any other way and i treat gaming and and stuff the same way but for gaming specifically it's about getting better at the game makes it more fun right being awful at something or being bad at something and and not wanting to improve doesn't mean you're going to have any more fun playing it because then you're really leaving your 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 luck leaving it up to luck to to give you a good experience so i'd rather be on the more quote-unquote controlling side of that and get a better play experience and that means becoming a stronger player and becoming a better player. So, um, for instance, if you've ever been in a game, and I've heard this plenty of times, like, oh, I couldn't do anything for five turns because so-and-so was doing this, and I just I had no answers for it. To me, my head, I'm going like, well, were you restricted by your colors? If not, should you have an answer for that? Is it something that you need? Because that's sort of what this episode's about. It's it's how to, how to I don't know, make the right plays at the right time, like you said. Yeah, these are tough things to talk about. You know, I think it's okay to say some players are stronger than others. That doesn't mean they're always going to be stronger. That's the great thing about gaming and gamers. And I think gamers in general are self-improvers. They mm-hmm. they like getting better at League of Legends or Hearthstone or Magic or anything they're playing. They like getting into the nitty-gritty and the minutia of like, oh, if I need to work on this little thing and, you know, I need to... Do I need to get better creep score in League of Legends, and then I will, you know, be a little bit better player. And then if I work on the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, before you know it, I'm a yeah. lot better than I was. And I think gamers like that. So 
when we say some plays are are usually made by weaker players or seem like they are, it's not an insult. It's just in an attempt, and this is my own self-reflection also, to improve. Yeah. So. I started Magic as a relatively weak player, and I wanted to become stronger. Yeah, I was very bad at Limited when I came back to Magic because Limited and Draft were just non-existent when I played before, and it took me a while to sort of figure out how that works. And I'm not saying I'm great now. I'm just better than I was. And I'm Josh just, is great. <laughs> and I'm He's still, the strongest player I know. <laughs> and still trying to improve every time I play, you know, how can I get better? How can I be better next draft than I was last draft? Yeah. And I think you want to do similar things with Commander. And I think we all have these people in our playgroups who, like, are basically the same skill level they were a year ago or two years ago playing basically the same decks playing. They basically like the same cards that they liked then. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but it does not constitute a fun evolving format for you. I mean, it might be fun for them. And if you're that person and you're fine with it, no big deal. I just think there's probably a lot of people who would rather not be that person, who would rather get better, but it's hard to know how. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So we're going to try and help answer one of the ways maybe that you can get better. Yeah. Strong players seem to have the right answer at the right time. And how, why is that? You know, that's a really big question. Well, let's let's talk about what an answer means, I guess, first, just for those people that may not know out there. So when we say answer, we're talking about ways to interact with what your opponents are doing. So a question, like if you're posing a question to the table, that's a threat. Mm-hmm. So if I play, let's go back to our old standby, insurrection, that's not an answer. That's a question. The question is, can you do anything about this insurrection or the, all the creatures I'm about to attack you with when I take it? Otherwise, you die. Yeah. If you have an answer to that question, yes, I have ghostly prison out. You're, you're okay. You're probably fine. Yeah. So, I can counterspell it. Yep. I can play, what's the other? Uh, I can sack all my dudes. Right, right. You know, stuff like that. Uh, I can somehow get Glacial Chasm into play at instant speed. Mm-hmm. Or you just have Glacial Chasm in play already. Correct. Now, at the same time, Insurrection can be, in a weird way, an answer to something, but in general is a question. True. It could be a steal your stuff, sack it. Yeah. As in like, gosh, this guy's out of control. I have to Insurrection now. I may not be able to kill everyone with it, but I can guarantee that I can stop this person from destroying us the next turn or whatever. So like Path to Exile is your classic answer, right? They Mm -hmm. play a really big creature. It's Blightsteel Colossus. It's Swinging. It's about to destroy everyone. Path to Exile. You answered that question. Hooray. Uh, Path to Exile. It's so good. Um, Strip mine their Glacial Chasm. Sometimes the question they're asking is, can you beat Glacial Chasm? You're a creature deck that wants to attack. Yep. Yes, I can. I play Strip Mine. I get rid of it. I attack you, and you're dead now. However, and we're going to get into this later, when do you Strip Mine their Glacial Chasm? Because they got to pay life for it. So, again, right answers at the right time. Yeah, and that's really good segue into how we broke this down. So there are basically two categories that this falls into. It's during the deck construction phase Mm -hmm. and then the gameplay phase. So there's gameplay decisions and there's deck construction decisions. And so we're going to analyze the habits of weak players versus strong players as we see it. Um, Let's talk about deck construction first. 
Yeah, in general, we always advocate this on the show. You want to have answers in your deck, and you want to make sure that your answers can deal with whatever your meta or whatever you perceive the meta is going to be throwing at you. Um, I know a lot of people that say, like, oh, I built this deck because so-and-so had this deck, and that's a you're literally building an answer to the question of someone else's deck. At the same time, a deck actually is a habit of, I think, a weaker player because if you're being that reactive to one specific thing, then you're sort of missing the bigger picture. So having a lack of diversity of answers is something that is really, really pertinent in EDH because I think, in general, a lot of people are like, oh, I put Path in there and put a couple of creature removal spells. I think I'm good. And then they'll just get hosed by a doubling season or they get hosed by a token strategy because they have one-to-one removal, but they don't have a board wipe. And you see this all the time when you play sort of with quote-unquote weaker players where something important will hit the board, like a doubling season is a good example. Mm-hmm. And it'll just last for turn after turn after turn. And you're thinking in your head, well, when I play with these other players, doubling season never lasts. But with the quote-unquote weaker players, it'll seem to last. And it's because there's a lack of diversity of answers in their deck. They don't have enchantment removal. They just overlooked it. Yeah, or they're so focused on their deck doing its thing that mm-hmm. they're not trying to worry about what other people are doing. And that does work very occasionally in certain kinds of, let's say you just want to go infinite. At the same time, though, you still need to be able to deal with stuff because there are so many things that stop you from doing that, that if you are so singularly focused and you don't think about what other people are doing, you're going to run into trouble. Well, that's that insidious nature of how hard it is to improve at magic, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes... Nobody will play an enchantment that you have to destroy right away, or your deck will get out to a fast enough start where that doesn't matter. And in those cases, it'll almost reinforce this idea, well, I don't need enchantment removal. Mm -hmm. But we're talking about gaining percentage points. So making the move from sort of a weaker player to a stronger player, making choices that are more like what the stronger player would make, will not make you win twice as much as you win now. It might make you win 10% more than you win now. Yeah. That's, that's what you're trying to do. That's a lot. I mean, I'm just making lot. up those numbers, but yeah, you can't think of it as black and white. Like, if I do this, I win. If I do this, I lose. It's like, if I do make these types of decisions, I win more often. Yeah, and you're playing against every card pretty much in the history of Magic. There are so many things out there that you may not even think of, but at the end of the day, they all boil down to creature, artifact, yep. enchantment, instant sorcery, planeswalker. Well, and there's also the added complexity of exile destroy tuck unsummon Mm -hmm. how many of those types of answers you have and need each one is better against different types there's also the negative x negative x rather than right direct damage direct damage yeah it's so complex it's so hard um but diversity of answers i think is one of the biggest issues you'll see with the quote-unquote the weaker players in your group they just don't have it yeah, and, and on the flip side of it is also having too many answers um, because your deck can't be purely reactive unless you're building something like a Talron deck where you just want to counterspell people. But at the same time, you still need ways to win the game. And I think a lot of people get caught up in the, uh, like, well, if I just make sure that I, you know, oh, gosh, he's won with Insurrection three or four times, I'm going to play five counterspells in my deck, five more than I need because I have to counter at that time. And you spend every time that person has eight mana up, you just sit there and you're like, oh, well, I don't want to play anything else because I want to make sure I can counter it in case they cast Insurrection. You just got stuck in the bind and someone kills you with the Sarah Ascendant. Yeah, I, th- <laughs> I think too many answers or too much redundancy of a specific type of answer mm-hmm. is a problem. Now, again, we have to have the caveat that this is not always true because I think Talran is an excellent example of a deck that can have tons of counter spells. It doesn't worry about the redundancy of that because every time it casts one, it gets a 2-2 flyer. Mm-hmm. 
So there's a reason to have redundancy there. But in your normal everyday deck, you wouldn't want every card to be Path to Exile. How would you win? Also, at a certain point, you don't need to be Path to Exiling them. You need to be taking advantage of the fact that you destroyed their best creatures. Mm -hmm. So you see this often again, which is decks that have like a lot of creature removal, but not a lot of artifact removal, not a lot of enchantment removal. That's the most common, I would say. Yeah. Is like... Your creatures, they can kill it, but your other stuff, your other key pieces that aren't creatures, they can't touch it. That's a very tough position to be in. Uh, it's going to make you lose a lot of games that you could have won if yeah, you just had Mortify instead of Swords to Plowshares. Yeah, exactly. And people see the Exile Clause and are like, well, that's great. It can kill indestructible creatures. But you have to think about how often is that going to be relevant? How often would you rather have flexibility as opposed to, a, uh, I guess, a strictly better form of removal for a creature? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think a big one, and this doesn't get talked about enough by us probably, is that I feel like the weaker player doesn't understand what their deck is weak to Mm -hmm. or what specifically beats their deck. You know, when you're building your deck, it's good to think about like, okay, in this deck, if they play this type of effect, it will hose what I'm trying to do. Yeah, Torpor Orb is a great example of that. Right, so you have to build ways into your deck, like in the Rune deck, which is a Flicker deck, Torpor Orb stops Enter the Battlefield effects from happening, basically. You have to have a few ways in case they play Hushwing Griff, Torpor Orb, that kind of thing, because if you're just going to rely on Acidic Slime to do it, it ain't going to work. Torpor Orb turns off Acidic Slime. Yeah, but it doesn't mean that Acidic Slime wouldn't go in that deck, because if Torpor Orb isn't out and you can Flicker it, then that card is amazing. Right. It just means you need to have a diversity of answers to get rid of an artifact or a creature that's going to be destroying your archetype, essentially. Yeah, you need to still have Crocin Grip in the deck, which is a split-second card that destroys an enchantment or an artifact. Mm -hmm. You need, you know, you want mostly creatures that you can flicker, but you need a few ways that you can get rid of, you know, Torpor Orb if you need to. I think, like, token decks or or really just creature-heavy decks that are going to want to have, like, four or five, six creatures out... They're really weak to board wipes. Yeah. You have to build your deck in a way that you can overcome a board wipe. Maybe you play maybe you play um something that gives all your guys indestructible, you know, the soul of new Phyrexia, mm-hmm. Avacyn. Maybe you play one of those cards that says every creature that died this turn it comes back onto the battlefield. You know, there's a number of white cards that do things like that. There's Ghost Way that flickers everything at instant speed. That saves it from the board wipe. Golgari charm gives your creatures indestructible. And you'll notice that the strong players, they'll have these cards, and we'll get into this in the next section, and they also know when to hold those cards and when to use them. You know, they yeah. don't have 50 of them in your deck, because if you have a whole deck full of ghostaways, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. At the same time, I think weak player is another a habit of a weaker player, is someone that tries to dream a little too big without realizing that you need to have these answers in order to dream the biggest you can. Yeah, I can hear people right now. In (laughs) fact, we're about to get emails saying like, how dare you, Commander is a casual format and you're making it all spiky and you're trying to make take all the fun of it. I want to cast big spells. And yes, yes, yes. But Magic is a strategy game. Yeah. It's about move and counter move. In this case, it's like move. Counter move, counter move, counter move, counter move, move. Yeah, counter move, there's counter. way more counter moves than there are moves. That's a really good point. I just think, like, if you don't want to play a strategy game, if you just want to play the game of, like, I tap all my mana and put something on the table, and then you tap all your mana and you put something on the table, that's, 
that's taking a lot of the tactics and the strategy out, and I bet you wouldn't like that. That's not what you like about the game. Yeah, and and Wizards has built this game so that you don't have to play blue in order to have counter moves to something. The word counter isn't necessarily tied to blue, if that makes sense. Every color has answers for different things, and Wizards has made sure that they're balanced more and more with sort of each year that comes out because it's an important part to the game to be to have it be that, yes, you love mono red and you're going to play mono red to death, and you can get rid of enchantments now because you have a couple of cards that can do it. And they've made sure that those cards are in existence so that you can do it. And you not playing them is something that goes sort of against what the company is trying to do for you as a player. And also, I just think, like, it's so easy to be like, okay, it's time to cut down cards. What do I get rid of? The unfun ones, even though the unfun ones are usually the ones that give you the access and permission and ability to play the fun ones. Yeah, really well said. Uh, And the last thing we have written down under deck construction is something we talk about all the time. I still feel like weak players do not understand this. Instant versus sorcery. Mm -hmm. Instant is so, so, so much better in Commander. It's better in one-on-one, too. Way better. In Commander, it's ten times better than that. Yeah. Because you're playing against four people. You don't know what any of the other four people are going to do. So... You can't if you just play something and then hope that like player A, B, C, and D don't do anything that messes with that. It's way worse than being able to go, okay, I'm gonna wait till player A and B go, and then maybe I'll do it, because then that's half the amount of players that can respond to it. Yeah. You and know, the what players in the colors that can best respond to it too, or something. Yes, exactly. So you can play around certain players or wait till they make their decisions. Think of blackjack. Blackjack the way that it works and the way the casino makes money is the casino acts last. Mm-hmm. You, If you bust out, if you go to 22, 23, 24, they just win before yep. they've done anything. That's Pretty still, sweet. That's a great comparison, actually. I yeah, didn't even think of that. That's the way that blackjack works. That's the way, that's the advantage the house has. They go last. Mm-hmm. They get to see. That's what instant is. Yeah. And they play with one card unrevealed, which is kind of like an instant or whatever. So instant... Versus sorcery, I'm willing to put, you know, utter end in my deck over over the vindicate. Yeah, I usually would put both, but and let's say there's a, in there's a sorcery speed, you know, one mana d- destroy a creature. I'd put utter end over that, even yeah. though it costs four, but it's instant and it gets rid of not just creatures but any non-land permanent. Yeah, this isn't limited. This isn't like a backyard brawl where you're sort of gathering whatever tools you can to throw at the opponent here. You're playing against four people. You're going to have access to a lot more cards and mana and selection. You should be choosing the cream of the crop when you're able to, and it's within your budget. And cards like Utter End are not expensive. They just spoiled a new card. Uh, What is it called? Um, Oh, the one you pay three life, and it basically Utter Ends? Yeah, it's Utter End, but for three mana and three life, which is also pretty i think it's better than utter end yeah <laughs> it is how many how many utter ends do you own now josh uh, i bought 50 foil utter ends that i thought were gonna go up and now they're not it's anguished turn. unmaking which is soren unmaking avacyn uh who by the way is a uh, originally was indestructible yep. so it's very very nice and very thematic um one more thing about instant and sorcery speed i see this a lot too with new player newer players they'll have a, a card like ghoul colored gisa out that is able to tap, and you put uh, zombies on the battlefield, essentially, but you have to tap the creature. And when they're able to do it, they do it on their turn, Mm -hmm. which makes no sense to me because those creatures are just going to sit out and wait, or just essentially baiting someone else to board wipe or or letting you stay very vulnerable to basically anyone deciding to get rid of your board. And because the creature can do it, and they can do it 
people just do it on their turn instead of waiting for the right time to do it, to do it when you need to block or to do it at the end of someone's turn right before yours so they have virtual haste. Um, so instant versus sorcery speed also goes for triggered and, or activated abilities on cards. Yeah, and I like your example because it sort of transitions us to the next thing, which is talking about gameplay and gameplay decisions. Yeah, this is definitely where it really... I think this is the heart of... Because you can... Here's the thing. A strong player can take a weaker deck and beat a weaker player because they know how to essentially play their answers correctly. Right. They make their decisions better. And that's really the heart of what magic is about. And that's what we want it to be about, right? You want it to be about skill. And skill is about using your stuff at the right time and making strategic and tactical decisions. Mm-hmm. It shouldn't be, we'd hope, just about like luck. Like I drew this, then I played this, then I drew the next thing and played that. And yeah. it's just, it's, that's like war. That's a part of the game, but it's certainly war not. War the card game. Yeah, that's certainly not the reason why I play magic. So the first thing we add listed is uh, one of the habits I think of weaker players is just answering the wrong threats. Yes, I see this all the time, and it really frustrates me. Uh, threat assessment was another episode that we did, and it's sort of the same idea. Yeah, it, it is. I think a lot of times somebody will be like, oh, that's scary, I'll just counter it, mm-hmm. without thinking about, is that specifically detrimental to me right now? Can I deal with it later? Can someone else deal with it? Yep. How bad is that? Because everything people are going to play in Commander (laughs) is going to be somewhat scary. Yes, absolutely. That's what we do. It's like some guy tries to cast, you know, Avacyn, the the original, that that's scary. Then the next guy goes Crater Hoof Behemoth, that's scary. The next guy tries to cast Insurrection, that's scary. Like, what? Like... It's turn eight. Everybody's casting scary stuff. Yeah. The next guy could cast Cyclonic Rift. That's scary. That's beyond scary. Cyclonic Rift is... I'm going to say it now. If there was another card to get banned at some point, I think Cyclonic Rift Rift. is up there. It (laughs) is absurd. But And how many times do you see this, or how many times does this happen to you, and it happens to all of us, Mm -hmm. you know, strong and weak, is you do something like, okay, I got a path to exile that creature... And then two players later, you're like, I wish I had my Path to Exile back. I wish I had my Counterspell back. I wish I did not, quote unquote, waste it on that thing. Yep. I wish I was not so hasty. I wish I had thought about it. I wish I had waited to see what else was going to happen. I wish, I wish, I wish. I answered the wrong threat. Yeah. And a lot of times, too, this requires requires you to get out of tunnel vision, which I think a lot of players have. Like, I lost to this deck last time because of this specific sequence of things happening sequence part one of that sequence happens again and you immediately respond to it because you're like oh gosh it's it's all over it's all over i don't respond to this the same thing's going to happen you get scared of certain things without actually opening your eyes and seeing what's what else is on the table it's sort of like if we were all different countries in the world and north korea is like i'm gonna fire a missile it's gonna be big it's gonna blow up the world and you're like, uh, sure. Meanwhile, this country is actually doing something terrifying, but they're just not showing it yet. But I can see the pieces getting built. I'm not going to respond to North Korea. I'm going to wait to see to make sure that I can respond to the actual threat at the table. Doesn't mean that North Korea can't eventually be a threat. It's just I don't buy it right now. I don't buy it right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, our next thing on the list is answering a threat too early. And I would actually amend this to say answering a threat at the wrong time. Yeah. Because you early. can also do it too late. Yes. Um, so that that's even worse. That's the worst feeling. Like I could have stopped this. 
But I did nothing. But I would rather err on the side of too late than too early. Yeah, I agree I with think that. in the end, you'll win more games by answering something too late than you will by answering it too early. Mm-hmm. Too early is a lot of times like, well, he played something. It could attack me next turn. I have a path to exile. But let me just untap here. See what I draw. See what else happens. There's two more players to go before they might attack me. Mm-hmm. Let's just wait until, you know, the last moment I can, generally. You know, every once in a while, that's going to bite you. Something's going to happen you didn't see coming. They're going to play another piece of a combo you didn't think of. Yep. That all of a sudden hoses you. But I agree, especially with a card like Path to Exile. Think about that. That's a one-mana card. If you can't cast it at the end of someone's turn, and it's your turn you have to untap, do you really lose out on that much value? Because you're probably going to be able to cast it again this turn with whatever other spell you want to cast in your hand and things can change the landscape of the political landscape can change dramatically like what can happen is that player you know is mad at you and that thing's coming at you but then there's two players in between you and somebody does something and all of a sudden that person's not so worried about you anymore Mm -hmm. and so the thing was pointed at you at the moment that you thought you weren't incorrect in sort of assessing the threat but Things that are out of your control happen in the meantime, and all of a sudden, oh, I get to keep my path to exile now because he's going to attack this other this other player. Yeah, not to mention answering a threat too early is also something that comes up so much in our games, which is you just made yourself the target for no reason. Yes. Other people could answer it. It may not even be coming at you. And that's sort of the next thing is like answering a threat that's not likely pointed at you. If someone has a gun and they're, they're holding it up, I won't use gun. I don't like guns. If someone has a giant magical cannon that says lose the game all right and they're pointing it at they're just they have it they haven't pointed it at anyone would you would you if you were on good terms with them walk next to them and say like how's it going or would you stand right in front of it and be like i'm going to shut this down right now they're this, holding the power this, this is a really good point and i think people don't think about the odds very much let's say you're in a four player game somebody plays a scary threat and nobody's really the target of it obviously mm mm-hmm. mhm you only have a 33% chance of being the one they attack, even if it's just random. Yeah. That's pretty good odds. I'll take those odds. I'll take those odds. I'll take my 66% chance that that thing that they played that's scary is actually on my side. Mm -hmm. This is another reason why instant sorcery is... The difference is so huge. The gap is so much bigger. Instants allow you the leeway to allow that big threat to be your friend. Yeah. Sorcery does not. If it's it's Blightsteel Colossus and it kills you in one hit, you don't have the luxury of waiting, if you have a sorcery, to see who it attacks. Mm-hmm. You have to blow it up. But if you have an instant, well, you can wait. When they turn it sideways, okay. Unless they're playing blue and they're tapped out, maybe you do have to get rid of it. And that's another play and that decision tree that's I think strong players think of over weak players, which is like, can I afford to wait? If I do, what's worst case here? Is it that... All of a sudden, they untap, they have blue mana, they can stop my spell. Mm-hmm. How bad is it if I get hit by that thing one time? Yeah. Is and, it lose the game bad? Yeah. A lot of times it isn't, right? Right. And that's sort of the crux of it. It's like, why would you get rid of something? Why would you spend mana, make an enemy out of someone that isn't going to necessarily win the game because of the card they just played? It may help them. It may help ramp them or whatever, but it doesn't mean that they're going to win the game. Like, you'll, you'll see a lot of people, uh, professional players someone will play a threat out like, uh, let's talk about something like uh, Azusa, right? Mm -hmm. She lets you drop a ton of lands. But if that player doesn't have card draw, not a big threat. 
If that player does have card drawn, they're dropping a ton of lands, and you have Counterspell, would you rather counter the Giant Threat, or would you rather counter Azusa? Yeah, it's those type of questions are hard to answer, but in each moment, you have to make those decisions based on all this other stuff, right? Um, the next one is related. It's answering a threat that your deck isn't really scared of. I see this a lot, too, where a player makes a play and they destroy something, and you're thinking, like, you've got five creatures out. You could just chump block that thing. Yeah. That's not that bad if they attack you with it. Someone plays a creature with Annihilator out, like... yeah and you have a token deck, you laugh. You're like, whatever. <laughs> That's I'm totally good. fine. Yeah, the worst case scenario there. Again, I think a lot of times players overestimate how bad it will be if the thing swings at them one time. Mm-hmm. And once it's swung at you one time, now you know, and you're making a decision based on, I know that thing's a threat to me. Mm-hmm. But you need to leave open the possibility that that thing is actually pointed at somebody else or going to do something else. It's obviously different for cards you can't beat, but we're talking about cards that, eh, my deck has a lot of ways to deal with that. You know, that's another thing is like, okay, in my hand right now, I don't have the way to deal with that, you know, besides this one card that I maybe want to save, but my deck has ghostly prison propaganda, you know, collective restraint. It's got seven board wipes. It's like, wow, there's a really good chance that I draw a card that deals with it or I, or lets me go find a way to deal with it later. Mm -hmm. So why deal with it now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think knowing what beats your deck and what your deck is weak to really helps here. And I think, I mean, we all build deck lists and having 99 cards in your deck, it's not easy to memorize exactly what's in your card. I can't count the number of times I go, I'm going to tutor. I have no idea for what. Um, I think the more you can answer that question, the better you're going to be at knowing how to answer threats correctly because you're going to think okay this is this this and this is that what's my best answer here to either the most things or the one thing that's going to kill me if it does turn on me and i think the likelihood of that is high Mm -hmm. uh the next thing we have is using a narrow answer on a broad threat i think it's actually using a broad answer on a narrow threat i wrote this and i I think both can work i think so it's the idea of using your mortify on a creature when you have 17 ways to kill creatures in your deck, but only three ways to kill enchantments. Mm -hmm. And it's like... Not that it's wrong, just in that case, it may not be correct, considering that you may need to get an enchantment off the board later. Yeah, exactly. And your deck doesn't have a lot of ways to deal with enchantments, so that enchantment removal is actually way more precious to you than the creature removal. So, and and a lot of people... You know, creatures are the easiest to deal with, not just because that's... There's just a plethora of creature removal stuff, but mm-hmm. also because creatures deal with other creatures. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good point. So you might probably have 20 ways, and and deal with is maybe not kill, but at least block. Mm-hmm. You know, and so you might have like 30 creatures in your deck. That's a whole lot of ways to deal with another creature, at least temporarily. Yeah, yeah. I I don't like a lot of creature removal in my deck. That's just kill a creature or exile a creature. Um, for that reason. Yeah. Uh, I think narrow answer on the broad threat does work. Let's say you play an unsummoned spell on the creature with an enter the battlefield ability. Mm. It stops it for a turn, but it doesn't mean... I mean, that threat is still going to do something when it comes back into play. So using your unsummoned there is probably not the right answer to it, unless it's, it is going to save your life and you don't have any other option otherwise, or it's the kind of thing that if you do this correctly, you're going to win the game because of it. The next thing we have is answering a threat that you already have answered. 
this comes up occasionally where it's like you have a propaganda out or a collective restraint or something else that makes it hard for them to attack you mm-hmm. or less likely to attack you. They play a scary creature, you path to exile it or mortify it or whatever. And I always am left thinking like, man, why am I playing ghostly prison or propaganda if I'm just going to destroy creatures when they get played? The whole point is I can play this one card that stops all creatures from attacking me mm-hmm. or at least makes it difficult. And people will do it, and, and sometimes you do have to, but very often, I'll take my chances. They might swing at me, they might not. I'll just take my chances that that two extra mana or whatever is enough tax that they won't. Yeah. Because otherwise, why am I playing that card? I mean, to make people pay mana to attack you? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, here's the thing. If it's Blightsteel Colossus, if it's the last infect damage and it's going to kill you, yes, you're going to have to answer. There are exceptions to every single thing we will ever say on this show. Because magic is a huge game and there's a ton of strategy involved, um, but yeah, answering threats that you already have answered—that's a really good one. I didn't really even think about that. There's there was a situation that came up in a game we were playing the other night, and um, there was like a dictate of Erebos out, but somebody else had something else that was ex- exiling uh, anything that was going to go to the graveyard. Right. So it was like somebody else went to destroy the dictate of Erebos, and I was like, okay. But that thing that's exiling anything that goes to the graveyard has already destroyed the Dictate of Erebos because no creatures die. They just go straight to exile. Mm -hmm. So it never triggers. So do you want to destroy it for the second time? And maybe you do because, you know, it turned out later in the game, a few turns later, I was able to get rid of the uh, graveyard exiling effect and turn back on the Dictate of Erebos. Mm -hmm. But you have to make that decision of like, do I really want to play a card that's going to do something that another card's already doing right now? Yeah. yeah the card was specifically saying the creature does not die. Does ne- it never enters the graveyard. It just goes straight to exile. Yeah, I think it was Anafenza or something like that, you know, where if it would go to the graveyard, it goes to the exile instead, something, yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's interesting because those cards, you see them played, and people are like, holy crap, I have to stop that immediately. Otherwise, I'm going to lose the game. Dictate of Erebus, I'm a creature-based deck. It's like, uh, it depends. Yeah. It always depends. And I think a lot of things, too, it's like maybe your answer is just not to play a card. Maybe your answer is to wait until someone else deals with it before you unload your, your hand. So, for instance, someone has aura shards out. Every time a creature enters the battlefield under their control, they get to destroy a target artifact or enchantment. I've had that card out and held a Gilded Lotus in my hand that I could play for, like, I don't know, five, six turns. It's just not worth it to lose it for nothing. To lose it for nothing. Yeah. Because you're going to have to pay man to put it out. I always just wait for someone else or for myself to have an answer to that. And then when you play your Guild Lotus, guess what? It's going to stick around. It's going to make a bigger difference on your game in the long term. So your answer in that situation, if it's not immediately threatening you, is to not play something. Mm-hmm. I think that's something people always underestimate is the ability to not tap your mana. It feels awful, and it feels really bad the first time you do it, but it gets easier every single time when you realize that sometimes it's the right thing to do. The next one is the half answer. Uh, this is in, based on another scenario that came up in a game we played where, Jimmy, I think you had a Dragon Broodmother out. Yes. And so what happened is you had a Dragon Broodmother out for basically a couple rotations of the table. I think you had like seven or eight tokens. It's getting awesome. Yeah, and then, and then you played another card that was going to make even more tokens. And somebody went to counterspell it. Um, it was my teammate at the time. We were playing Secret Partners or Partners. Mm-hmm. Some, it was Public we, Partners. It was Public Partners. Yeah. It wasn't Secret. And I was like, hold on. Countering the additional token generation does nothing. We're already screwed by the amount of dragons that he's getting off Dragon Broodmother. So we basically need a board wipe. If we get a board wipe, then it'll get rid of both these problems. Mm-hmm. It'll get rid of the Dragon Broodmother, 
all the dragons is created and this new token generator thing. So there was no reason, but I see this all the time. Oh my gosh, you can't, I can't let you have more tokens. Why? You're already losing to the tokens. Yeah. You need the same answer to the other tokens that you need to the new tokens. So it doesn't make any sense to waste your counter spell right there. That's what I would have called a half answer. It's like, I'm going to stop half of what you're doing. Hmm. I'd rather stop all of what he's doing or just not stop it and hope it's not coming at me. Yeah, exactly. Because oftentimes the threat that you think is a th- imminent threat is it's equally bad for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are plenty, plenty of ways. If the answer is literally talking to the person over playing a card in your hand, I'm going to go with talking the person every single time. For sure. Especially if the card in my hand is not really going to stop what they're doing. I mean, yeah. if it, it'd be one thing if he was going to play Wrath of God, which was going to answer the, the whole thing. But mm-hmm. it's like, I don't know. We're just going to make that person mad and more likely to attack us with the nine dragons they've already got. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's the special case of the counter spell. Probably the hardest card type to play yep in magic people say control is the hardest sort of deck archetype to play in general and i can understand why i've tried to draft control in the cube many times and almost always at the end of the game i put my head in my hands and go why didn't i counter that why did i counter that instead Ugh, i should have known because every time you use a counter spell you're making a decision about what's important and what's not and it's so easy for one of those to go wrong right for you not to know enough about your opponent's deck mm-hmm what the key pieces are, what it is they're actually trying to do. Is that a, are they baiting out a counter spell, you know, or is that component not key? Yeah. There's a lot of re- redundancy. It's really, really, really hard card to play. And I think that that's why you'll see strong players will play counter spells and weak players will play counter spells in their deck. And somehow the strong players with the counter spells are so much more scary than the weaker players, right? Yeah. Because they just understand what those things they need to counter are. Yeah, it's so important to to correctly identify the threat with counter spell. And your margin for error is is so small. With Swords to Plowshares, you get to see that thing in action a little bit more. Yeah, and you can control. If it's coming at you, sure, you can kill it then, but like, watch it wreak havoc on other stuff. Counterspell, it's already been played. You've it's out. Your it's attacking. Yeah. Counterspell does nothing now. Yeah. You know, good luck. You wish you countered it. You didn't know it was coming at you. It requires just a very higher level of awareness politically of what's going on, who's mad at who, who might be mad at you. Every time you play a counterspell, you paint somewhat of a target on your back, not just from the person you countered, but everybody else is like, oh, that guy's got counterspells. Nobody likes counterspells that much. They're... Some people really like counterspells. Let's not get around. But nobody likes when somebody else has counterspells. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah that's what I mean. Is like, if you counter a spell from Craig, in my mind, I go, okay, Jimmy's got counterspells. I got to watch out for that. Mm-hmm. You're already, your threat level went up in, in my mind, even though I wasn't involved in that exchange. Yeah. So that's another hard political thing to navigate. My favorite counterspell is when someone else is swinging their lethal creature at someone and someone goes, fine, I'll kill it. And you're like, I'll counterspell the kill spell. Yeah. You're out of the game. Now you're out of the game. It was Boom. my, I, I did it. I did it with a <laughs> counterspell. I killed someone. I think it's why you see sort of two kinds of decks with counterspells. Mm-hmm. One, a ton. Tons of them. Hundreds. 20 of them. A billion. You know, 25 of them. 5,000. A lot. 80 million. The other one, three. You don't see a lot of decks that only have like 78. Mm-hmm. You know, they're going to have two, three counter spells. They're going to use them to either stop you on the you're going to win turn or they're going to protect their I'm going to win turn. Yep. So that they only need two or three or they have 30 and they're just going to counter everything because it's 
very difficult to know exactly what to counter. So I'm just going to get into a situation where I can counter most things. Yeah. Um, I, I love this topic because there's, it's such a broad, deep topic to talk about. Like, for instance, we could go into the whole, someone has an answer. How do you bait it out of them? Mm-hmm. How do you play your cards in such a way that they incorrectly threat assess so that you can save your best cards for when they're out of gas? They don't have anything left in their hand to, to deal with that card. I think Swan Song is a great example because it only counters specific things. Making sure you can play around something like a Swan Song is great. Great feeling because you know that you're avoiding their answer by playing correctly. There was a, another game uh, we had going on where you and another player, I'm not going to get into the specifics, but the way the board was set up, you guys were basically play, drew your entire decks oh, yes. and were playing your entire hands basically for free. Dream Halls was out. Um, and the stack was insane. It had like 40 spells on it. A lot of them were counter spells. And I was sitting there holding a swan song the whole entire time. And I had to be so careful because what I had was basically amounted to a pebble that I was going to try and throw into the ocean <laughs> and create a tidal wave. Yeah. And I was like, where can I find where this will be the straw that breaks the camel's back? Uh, it didn't work out that way, but my... Yeah, it turns out drawing your entire deck, you, it's pretty the good pebble that you guys, got lost in you the got, waves. You got to the point where neither of you had counterspells left. You tried to counterspell everything. And then it went down to, there was one spell, and if I could counter it, it would basically kill you both because you'd drawn your entire decks. And there was one spell that was going to make everybody shuffle their yeah. graveyards into their library. Time spiral. Yeah. And it almost worked, but one player had reiterate and could counter my swan song. But in that instance, that was my only chance to victory, right? I was mm-hmm. looking at your hands, looking at everything, and being like, this counterspell, I got to try and use it to somehow win. Yeah. And that I was think the, you did choose the right time to try and Yeah, do it. and it was like, I, I, that was the only way that my pebble had a chance at creating the tidal wave, and it did. You have done a two-for-one in terms of killing two players out, yeah. from one card. <laughs> and once you, the turn resolves and you still have all this stuff and you've now got a library again and you, you guys both had Consecrated Sphinx. Anyway, complicated story, but we were dead Mm-hmm. Everybody else at the table was dead unless somehow we could turn this huge display of power against you guys. Yeah. You know, and that's the idea of trying to use your one or two counter spells, you know, very carefully. And there was many spells cast that I wanted to counter with Swan Song because there was a bunch of stuff that destroyed all my creatures and was bouncing all my artifacts and yeah, all kinds yeah. of stuff was happening. Like, I got to let all that stuff happen because my only chance is to counter at the very end the one thing that maybe wins yep absolutely so as you guys go into your next games with your friends your coworkers, your family take this topic in mind about when to play the correct answers at the right time and really sit there and analyze when you're deciding to do something you don't need to announce to the group what you're doing but think about it and think am i doing the right thing at the right time why am i doing it am i doing it for the right reasons am i doing it as late as i possibly can I think if there's yeah. one thing you can try, it's try and make all those moves a little bit later. Try and wait until it's more scary, if you can, until you use your answers. Just try and use them at the last possible instance. It's going to bite you sometimes, but I think overall that will be an improvement over where you're using them currently. And at the very least, it's a great exercise. And it also will let you know, like, wait, I have no answers that I can do at the last possible minute because I have too many sorceries in my deck. It's time to time to do some uh, deck tweaking. Yeah, absolutely. All right, time for the two of the listeners, and this is where we're going to give away the books from Delray Books. Again, it's The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. So if you want a chance to win the book, even if you don't, 
you, we'd still love to get your feedback here. So mm-hmm. this to the listeners question is actually the most important one we've asked yet. Oh. So we're on episode 101 right now. We've got 101 episodes under our belt. And we forgot to ask this on the live stream, so we're making up for it. Yeah, right. What do you love about the Command Zone the most? What do you love about it the least? What do you wish we talked about or did more? How can we make the Command Zone the best it can be? Can I answer this? Go for it. I love the Command Zone because it's where my commander sits. I always know it's going to be there no matter what because now the tuck rule is gone. I hate the Command Zone because sometimes it costs a lot to cast my commander. Because <laughs> commander tax is really Gosh. pain in the butt. You know what? Death and taxes, guys. Death and taxes. <laughs> All right. If you, uh, you can tweet at us, at CommandCast. You can post in the comment section on Rocket Jump or on YouTube, mm-hmm. or you can email us, CommandCast at RocketJump.com. We really want to know. We got a hundred behind us. We got a hundred in front of us. Yeah. How can we make the next hundred the best they can be? And uh, if we do, we will randomly choose from all the people that answer and give away some books uh, on the next show. Yeah, we don't just want to be strong players. We want to be strong podcasters as well for you guys. Hey, this—that's really great. I didn't even think about that. We did it. This episode's about self-improvement. How can we improve the show? I'm perfect. <laughs> I've reached the pinnacle. <laughs> the show, maybe not. No, but Jimmy. 100%. Tomorrow I will ascend into the heavens. <laughs> wow. Wow. It's awesome. I am Sarah. I'm jealous. Wow. <laughs> Man, you got lifelink flying. You're broken. You should be banned. Yeah. I should be banned. <laughs> All right. <laughs> enough of that. All right. Time for the end step where we talk about something cool outside the world of magic. Do you have anything? I did the drone last week. The drone is technically outside the world of magic. Yeah, thanks. Even though it's specifically to help us film Kitchen Table Fables. <laughs> I'll allow it. <laughs> Geez, it's up to me. It's always up to me, isn't it, Josh? It's actually not always up to me. By the way, remember when I said it was perfect, and now I'm floundering on this figuring is, out something to talk about like the end step? Yeah, karmic justice right here. Yeah, exactly. Karmic justice indeed. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, let's check out Facebook to see if anyone's posted a cool news okay. article. March Madness. Oh, boy. Okay, fine. Yeah, March Madness. Who, who do you think is going all the way this year? Oh, well, th- this is why I wanted to say this, is that m- Oregon, the Ducks, Quack. who are my team... They're my team, too. They are a number one seed for the first time in forever. Wait, really? Yeah, so they actually have a legit chance. Now, you're listening to this on a Tuesday, and my hope is that they haven't been knocked out of the tournament in their first two games, which they will have played by now. Mm-hmm. But I'm just saying, like, it's the first time in maybe my lifetime that I could legitimately choose them to win on my bracket and not feel like I was just being a total homer. <laughs> I do that all the time with the Seahawks. I can't help it. Yeah, you just pick them, but you're never supposed to bet with your heart, right? So That's true. Go Ducks. Quack, quack. Quack, quack. Seeing as Seattle no longer has a basketball team. Yeah, true. And I don't think you guys have. I don't think uh, Dub or Washington no. State are in the tournament. So No. So you might as well just, vote, uh, just root for uh, U Vote Ducks. Go Ducks. That was a great end step. That All was right. a good end step. Thanks, Josh, for contributing to this week's end step. I didn't even realize that that was a topic until... Wait, I have an end step. Game of Thrones is coming back very, oh, yeah. very soon. Dude, I can't dude wait. the trailer for it is sweet. Yeah, trailer for it is awesome. Um, and we're finally going back to Bran Stark, who is one of my favorite characters because he just got a really, really cool story. I'm really excited because this is the first season where we're like off book for a lot of it. Yeah. We've been off book in places a couple of times, but now it's like I've read all the books. So, you know, every season basically I've been like, well, I know what that is. But now I'm like, 
I have no idea. Anything could happen. Yeah. And it's George R. R. Martin, so any character could literally die at any minute. Yeah, and I'm just so excited. April twenty fourth, mark the mark the date down. At this point, Game of Thrones is more consistent than George R. R. Martin will ever be in his entire life. So <laughs> you just gotta throw shade at Come on, R. R. there. Come on, man. It'd be Come like on, if, if Magic was like, Hey guys, we're gonna release our next set three years from now because we just wanted to design it for a while. And I, then it actually doesn't come out in seven years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It just would be unacceptable. Sorry, RR. Anyway, it's season six. Very exciting. I can't wait. Game of Thrones, that's my end step. It- you know who's a very big uh, Game of Thrones fan? Alex Kessler from the Master of Modern Podcast. Oh, that's right. Speaking of. Yeah, he's a huge Game of Thrones fan. So if you have any Game of Thrones talk, you can throw it his way. Yeah. Uh, you can find the Masters of Modern Podcast at the MMCast on Twitter or on RocketJump.com right next to us. Uh, under the podcast tab, Alex and Ben, they talk about the modern format and all things competitive magic. Definitely check them out. Our editor for the show is the one and only Terry Robertson. He's been killing it on the videos. If you guys haven't checked those out, please do. YouTube.com slash the rocket. <laughs> I'm not perfect. <laughs> Ever you- since you said you were perfect. Yeah, no, <laughs> just downhill. Just straight there. downhill. Uh. It's my last podcast. <laughs> YouTube.com slash the Command Zone Podcast is where you can find all of our videos, including the awesome video for Second Harvest, which is our Shadows Over Innistrad spoiler. And big thanks to Jeffrey Palmer for doing that Living Card animation, as well as the rest of the Living Card animations on the channel. Uh, you can find Jeffrey at Living Cards MTG. Make sure you guys send Jeffrey a tweet this week and tell him how much you love that. Yeah, definitely tell him how awesome Second Harvest was. He also does did the Soul Ring intro oh that gosh, we use on every amazing. show. That's awesome. Throw some love Jeffrey's way at Living Cards MTG. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next time. Peace. For further inquiries, send an email to commandcast at rocketjump.com or ask us on Twitter at JF Wong and at Josh Lee Kwai. See you later, alligator. Greetings, humans. (laughs) You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie. And we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.